it's been said that example is not a model of leadership, it is the model of leadership. In the end, the way we influence people is through how we live rather than what we say. The walk is more important than the talk. And for these next three weeks, we're going to look at how you can live, how we can live in a Christ-like manner and how we can influence others through our actions. And the way we're going to do this is by looking at St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians in the New Testament. Now, the exciting thing is this is probably the earliest letter that Paul wrote, dating around AD 50. That's less than just 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Wow, just think about what we're reading. And Paul, as you know, was the greatest church planter of his time. And on his second missionary journey, he went with Silas and Timothy to Thessalonica, which was the capital of Macedonia in modern day Greece. Now, when they got there, the, Mas the Thessalonians, they'd never heard about Jesus. They'd never heard the gospel. So Paul, Silas and Timothy, they planted a church. They started a church there and they gained converts from amongst the pagans and also a few of the Jews. But due to persecution that broke out against them, including the arrest of this guy called Jason, who was providing lodging for them, Paul and his companions had to therefore flee the city after just three weeks of being there. They moved on to Berea and then on to Athens. And at this point, uh, Paul is worried about their fledgling church plant in Thessalonica. So he sends Timothy back to them. In the meantime, he then moves on from Athens to Corinth, and there he plants the church in Corinth, at which point Timothy returns to him with a report about the Thessalonians. Now, the amazing thing was that although the Thessalonians had only been taught by Paul for just three weeks, and they had no mature leaders amongst them, they had none of the New Testament to read that we do today, and they faced terrible persecution. In spite of all of this, they were doing really well in their faith. This encouraged Paul, and so he writes this first letter to them whilst he's in Corinth. And in this letter, he encourages them. He uh, gives them advice about how to face their struggles. He gives them teaching to straighten out some of their misunderstanding about his own teaching on the second coming of Jesus. And importantly in this letter, Paul gives them advice on how to continue to live as Christians well. Now, nowhere does Paul commend the Thessalonians on the size of their church. We don't know how big it was, but he says in chapter one, verse eight, that their faith had become known everywhere. In other words, your influence is not a function of your size or importance, rather, your influence is on account of how you live for Jesus. And Paul says to them in chapter one, verse seven, that they had become a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, showing the way of how to live as Christians, a model. Therefore, our sermon series is called How to Be a Model Christian. In chapter two, Verse 12, Paul encourages the Thessalonians to live lives 
worthy of God. In the Greek, it literally means to walk worthily of God. And just as a model's job is to wear clothes and walk on the catwalk, so as Christians, our job is to clothe ourselves in Christ and to walk worthily of God on the catwalk of life. So let me read some verses to you. We're going to begin at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. Paul writes this. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And then chapter two, verse five, you know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. So we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Amen. So what advice does Paul give about being a model Christian? Paul bases much of what he says about living like Christ around these three pillars of faith, love, and hope. He says in chapter one, verse three, uh, we remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So firstly, faith. Paul talks of the Thessalonians, work produced by faith. What does he mean? Well, in chapter one, verse nine, he says that those whom they influenced Tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. When we put our faith in Jesus and choose to follow him, 
It also means that we choose not to follow idols, those things that can, can compete for our attention and trust, whether it be literal idols like Kuan Yin or other idols like wealth or status or popularity. The Thessalonians turned from these idols and served the true God. And one way in which we can grow in this faith is by choosing our role models wisely. The Thessalonians had modeled themselves on Jesus and on Paul. In verse six, he says to them, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And then in turn, they had become a model to many others. When I served at Holy Trinity Brompton, HTB in London, uh, as the associate vicar under the vicar, Nicky Gumbel, um, we were given a little uh, flat to live in next door to the house where Nicky and Pippa lived. So that meant not only did I work with Nicky and Pippa, but we lived literally next door to them. I got to see uh, what time Nicky went to bed, what time he woke up, his exercise rhythms, his work patterns. I was able to literally watch and copy. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to you know, choose someone to be a role, role model, rent the condo next door, ring their bell and say, hi, uh, I'm Miles, I've chosen you as a role model to share in your life and I've moved next door. No, that will probably freak them out. But it might mean asking someone if they wouldn't mind being your mentor, or it could mean simply observing those whom you admire and imitating how they live. But be intentional. There are so many amazing Christians to learn from at HTBB. Soak it up, get into a connect group, imitate, be like a sponge, and then in turn, be a model for others. Allow others to get close to you. Well, maybe not closer than two meters at this time, but you know what I mean. Let them in on your life. Share your life with them. As Paul says in chapter two, uh, verse eight, he says, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And as we model Christian living to others, it keeps us inspired to live lives worthy of God and to keep learning and growing ourselves as well. As Simon Sinek says, the more people you inspire, the more people will inspire you. So be intentional about growing in your faith by having and then by being a role model. Now, I wanna say just a few words on how there is a difference between looking to someone as a role model and negatively comparing yourself to others. That sort of comparison is rarely a good thing. Actually, I think there are four dangers of comparison. Firstly, you can compare yourself to someone and feel inferior to them, and that does not honor God. Secondly, you can compare yourself to somebody and feel superior to them, but that doesn't honor God either. Thirdly, comparison can steal your joy with what you do have or who you are. You know, if you have something special 
or someone special, the surest way to devalue what you have is by comparing it to something else or someone else. This is true of material possessions, but also of our relationships. You know, I always say to married couples, don't compare your spouse with others. It devalues what you have. And fourthly, comparison can divert us from our destiny. When we begin to compare ourselves to what other people are doing and, 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 it, and comparing ourselves, it can sort of make our head turn and divert us off the path of our calling and destiny. But imitating role models, doing life-on-life life discipleship is different and, and always tends to be edifying, positive, and leads to growth. And I think the dif difference between role modeling and destructive comparison is usually depth of relationship. It's usually to do with distance. Comparison is usually done at a distance, but modeling is usually done close up in friendship. And remember that the objective of all of this is ultimately to grow more like Jesus. He is our fixed point. During the, um, the Apollo space missions, uh, it's estimated that the astronauts were actually off course for about 90% of the missions. But it didn't matter because they had a fixed point, which meant that they were able to make constant in-flight course corrections. And, and likewise, you know, when we get things wrong, when perhaps we mess up, don't worry. You can repent and make constant in-flight course corrections in the journey of life. So that's a little bit about faith. Have your fixed point, Jesus. Secondly, love. It's important to get our motives right. We want to model the Christian life to others, but not in order to impress them, rather to please God. Paul says, chapter two, uh, verse four, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. Now, we're not trying to please God because we want to earn his love and favor. No, you already have that. By grace, that's all yours. Your destiny is, and salvation is secure in Jesus because he loves you unconditionally. Rather, we want to please God through our lifestyle as a response to God's perfect love for us, flowing from gratitude. As it says in 1 John, we love because God first loved us. Isn't that amazing? And in Thessalonians 1 verse 4, Paul describes the Thessalonians as those loved by God. And he himself models that to them. In chapter 2 verse 8, he says, we loved you so much. Let God's love be your motive for wanting to live a better life, a life worthy of God. And as God pours his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit, allow that to overflow and your love for others to inspire you to want to set them in a, a good example of how to live.
let's be honest, love is attractive. It's magnetic. It's powerful. And it's transformative. I remember when I uh, first came to faith as a Christian in my late teens, um, the local church I went along to, the first thing they did was they, they, they sort of signed me up to go to this older couple's house uh, for uh, midweek groups. And um, the, the couple were called Mr. and Mrs. Bolt. Now, they weren't Usain's parents. Uh, they were just this older couple in the church. And I have to be honest with you, as a teenager, before I went that first time, I thought, you know, I really don't want to go. This is going to be like so awkward sitting in this older couple's house in silence, looking at the Bible. But I got there. And after just one session, I can tell you from then onwards, every single one of the teenagers that was there, we raced to get back to their house every week. Why? Well, Mr. and Mrs. Bolt, they were not cool in the slightest, but they really loved us genuinely. You know, Mr. Bolt, he, he really liked cricket, he loved people, and he was always telling these terrible jokes. And just about a week and a half ago, I caught myself checking the, the cricket score, having just told a terrible joke. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm turning into Mr. Bolt. You see, those who love us have the greatest influence upon us. So love others if you want to influence them for Christ. And Paul, using the analogy of a parent, talks about what this love might look like. He says in chapter two, verse seven, he says, instead, we were like young children amongst you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. He talks about being gentle and kind and caring. And being gentle and kind are two of the most underrated virtues in life. But they are, of course, fruit of the Holy Spirit. And at this time of uncertainty and, and challenge, with fear and people losing their jobs, and you know, let's be people that lead through kindness and gentleness, because everyone is facing a personal battle that we might not know about. What can you do today that is caring and gentle and kind that will bless someone? And you can also show love through how you use your words. Paul says to them in verse five, you know, we never used flattery. Don't use words to try to flatter people to get your own way. Jesus elsewhere in the gospel says that the words that come out of our mouths are actually an overflow of what's in our hearts. So if you catch yourself saying something that's a bit maybe unkind or harsh, just it's fine, just repent and ask the Lord to soften your heart again and the words will flow. I, I often find that this is a, a good test before I speak. I ask myself, you know, what I'm about to say, is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? 
that's a sort of a good test, a good gatekeeper for our words. And instead, think about how your words can build others up. Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Your words have the power to encourage, to comfort, and to strengthen others to live lives worthy of God. It's interesting, isn't it? Later on, when Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he'll describe prophecy, the role of prophecy in that way, that a prophecy is there to encourage, comfort, or strengthen. You see, when you speak encouragement and comforting over somebody, you're actually, in a way, speaking prophetically over who they are and who they will grow to become. So maybe send an encouraging or comforting WhatsApp message to someone today. Don't underestimate the impact that it can make. So there's faith, there's love, and then we also model this Christian life to others through hope. Paul talks in chapter one, verse three, of their endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, at the end of every chapter in this letter, Paul ends each chapter talking about the return of Jesus at the end of time, the second coming, when all things will be put right. At the end of chapter one, he says that the Thessalonians turned from idols to serve God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. You know, when we know that in the end, all will be well, then if right now, all is not currently well, then we know it's not the end. And this perspective, this hope, gives us strength to endure hardship. Maybe you're facing a particular hardship right now. Hope gives you the strength to endure. In chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says this, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Hope helps us to work hard and to endure hardship. And hope helps us when we're unfairly treated. Maybe you've been unfairly treated. Paul goes on to say that the Thessalonians imitated the churches in Judea and Jerusalem as they too suffered persecution for their faith. But in spite of this suffering, they also experienced great joy as well. Chapter 1, verse 6, he says, In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So I want to pray now for those of you who are facing hardship and a tough time. I'm going to pray that you will know both hope and joy in the midst of the challenges, and that in so doing, you would be an inspiration and a model to others. So let's pray. You might want to place your hands out in front of you and just in your heart echo this prayer. 
just pray, come, Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, would you fill me again now with hope? Jesus, you are my fixed point, my goal, my end. If you need to make any in-flight course corrections right now, you can just say sorry to the Lord and focus your heart again upon Jesus. We know that you are secure in him. The story ends well for you in Christ. So if all is not well right now, hold on to the hope that this is not the end. It's not how the story ends. Better chapters are yet to come. And would you fill us with your joy, Lord, by your spirit right now. Just receive that hope and joy. And would you fill us with love for you, but also love for others, that we might inspire them and set an example. Thank you.